Hello and welcome to the Trainer Tools podcast. I'm back here again with Christina Gadd. Hello, Christina. Hi, John, and great music, by the way. Yeah, it's a different one. It's um, it's from a friend of mine called David Maginty, or McGinty. It's a hard G, I'm told. But he's just released this album called There Is A Story. So I thought I would use part of that as part of a, convers- uh, part of a song called Conversations. Excellent. So I, thought, I thought I'd promote it for him. So David McGinty, Ooh, There Is A Story. Yeah, it is. It's nice, yeah. And it's called Conversations, which suits this podcast, I thought. so. It certainly does, yeah. I'm looking forward to ours. Well, yeah. Well, this is our third one because we, start, we started off doing your five top secrets, top secret secrets for of accelerated learning. Yes. And, and since then, because we went to, ended up going on for so long, we started breaking it down. So people listening to this that haven't heard the initial one or the second one where we started breaking down talking about objectives should really go back and listen to those, I think, first. I think so, yeah. It'd be a good idea just to get that overview, really. So where are we now? So well, do you want to just quickly say what the five are? Okay, so the five secrets are objectives that are business-focused and learner-centred, and that was the the first. I did an overview of those, and then we, we looked at those more deeply last time. And then the second one is being a facilitator, not a trainer. The third one is about um, the variety of learners that you get, knowing about them, but also designing for variety. Um, the fourth one is about the environment. So that's the physical, social and emotional environment. And how do you create the right ones for learning? And the final one is about the brain. And what do you need to know about the brain to make sure that learning is embedded? So we're now zooming in on the second one, which is be yeah. a facilitator and not a trainer. Yeah. Great. OK, so what, how, do you, how are you going to uh, structure it? Um, Well, I thought it would be useful if we sort of talked about a little bit about my background, really, first of all, and my transition from being a trainer to a facilitator, and then maybe sort of look at some of the key differences um, between facilitator and trainer that makes it useful and helpful, but then also explore some of the benefits and the impact of facilitating rather than training. So three strands, really, today. Okay, do we do we need to define terms? Well, I suppose we don't, do we? Because people listening to this know all about this anyway. We have a very sophisticated audience here. I hear we have. Yes, I listen regularly. Well, there you go. That's that's proof. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so um, let's start with your own transition from training. And I'll probably be able to echo a lot of this as we go along. So I'd be interested in hearing your story from one to the one to the other. Yeah. Well. Um... Years and years and years ago, way back in the dark ages, I was actually an engineer and then I moved into IT training. And um, it was a very interesting transition because I am a people person. So I really enjoyed that. But I'm also a bit of a techie sort of geeky sort of person as well. And um, I loved the IT training as soon as I started. But um, thinking about it, it was the actual training part that I actually loved. And I worked for IBM, who at the time they were they had an education centre, which was fantastic. It was sort of like all the latest stuff that we were doing and everything. Um, and so when I learned to be a, a trainer, uh, it was from other trainers, other technical trainers. So I just assumed that this was the way to do stuff. And so we did a lot of telling. Um I was quite bossy. Um, I look back now and I'd really... I can't imagine that, Chris. I really can't. No, I was, honestly. (laughs) Are you being sarcastic? Way Way out your comfort zone. Yeah, I was quite bossy. And I, you know, down to if somebody happened to flick the pages of the workbook ahead of where we were, 
I would sort of like notice it and maybe sort of say they wanted to get back onto the page and stuff. And so uh, it was very much about control, I think. And, and actually, you know, if I could control everything, then they would learn in the best possible way. Um, if I spoke in the clearest possible manner, then they would learn in the in the best possible way. If I research the subject beyond just what, what we're supposed to be covering as well, I was prepared then for any any sort of side issues. And so I think my aim was to be a really, you know, great um, technical trainer. And I had no reason to suspect that, you know, that I wasn't going to be or I wasn't, you know, because um, I was surrounded by some great trainers and I learned from them. So, so you were very much the, the, trying to be the font of all knowledge. The font at the front, yes, that was me. I was definitely there. And I did put myself under quite a lot of pressure, you know, so if I needed to learn a certain amount, I would learn way beyond that, just in case I got questions around the subject. So I was definitely aiming to be the font of all knowledge. Yeah, definitely. The thing is, though, that to some extent, that's the expectation of the trainees, as they would have called themselves in those days as well, that they, because yeah. they, they their main recollection would have been from school or university where you very much did have an expert, a sage on the stage. You did have that expert standing at the front imparting their knowledge. So yeah. the, the, the model would have been familiar to them and that would have certainly met their expectations. I mean, to some extent, it still does with people, of course, but certainly if we're going back, you know, a couple of decades... Yeah, and I, and I think that's absolutely true. And, and I think because they were clients of IBM, they'd bought the kit and then they were using the software. You know, they expected us to be the experts. They expected to come and find out everything. Um, they expected to be told. And so there was that expectation. It's not like we were doing something that was uh, mean or bad or whatever. It was, I think, of that era, you know, what people were doing so, yeah, so so that's what we did. We we trained, we stood up at the front and we told people what they needed to know. I, I also think the expectation was two-way because it's all, it was as trainers, when I started 20-odd years ago, I was doing a very similar thing, also IT training, in fact, mm-hmm. and also standing at the front and also the font of all knowledge. And it wasn't just their expectation of, here, I'm an empty vessel, please fill me up with your knowledge. That was my expectation. And yeah. my, boss, my boss's expectation that you have to know this stuff so you can stand at the front and tell them. Yeah. So it was, it was everybody in the chain had the same understanding and expectation. Yeah. And the flaw that I've sort of seen in all of that, I suppose, over the years is the fact that actually what I was what I was actually assuming is that they knew nothing in a lot of ways. That's that's the big flaw and that they didn't already have some knowledge that would be useful. You know, something even a comparison with another system, something that you could latch on to some some learning. So I have seen the error of my ways. John, you'll be pleased to hear well, yeah, yeah, me, me too, me too. And uh, interesting, I remember I, I was actually doing a train the trainer, and this was years ago, and I worked for an airline. And I was some of the people training were the people that taught the cabin crew how to do their hair to make sure oh, their wow. hair was all done perfectly. Yeah. And we were doing this train the trainer thing, and we were saying stuff, you know, like become more of a more of a facilitator. So the direction of the content we were delivering was very much could become more of a, of a facilitator. And they were really quite shocked by this and they were quite confused. And they were kind of really? saying, yeah, because they were sort of saying, but is that, all, is that all right if we don't do all the training? Is that all right if they actually work it out themselves? Or is this all right? if they... And they really felt that they were kind of almost skiving. 
yeah, if they almost... weren't doing that much more active role yeah. at the front. Yeah, it's almost like you're you're backing out of your responsibility to impart that knowledge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just like you you are doing less in some ways. Yes. Not in yeah. other ways, because you just. It was very interesting that it really struck me at that point. And when I said, "Well, your objective isn't that you teach. Your objective is that they learn, and therefore yes. whatever whatever works yeah. best." Ah, yeah. That's a good thing to say, actually. Yeah. It was all right, wasn't it? It was off the top of my yeah. head as well. Very good. Thought of it on the yeah. spot. I mean, I had a bit of a, an epiphany when I went. I got sent on a week-long facilitation course by my manager. Lovely, lovely lady. I was so cross with her because I, I clearly said to her that facilitation had no place in IT training whatsoever and uh, was really cross. And I got sent to this really lovely place in Hampshire for a whole week. And I was really cross. I don't know why I was so cross about it. But anyway... Uh, I had one of the hugest light bulb moments of my career, I think, through that week. And, and it was mo- nearly right at the end of the week. I did sort of manage to stay quite cross right until the end of the week. Um, did you? Yeah, I did actually manage to maintain that. And the thing that was <laughs> going to make me happy was that if I didn't have to facilitate anything, that if I was going to actually present something or deliver something, and then I got chosen to facilitate a discussion. And I was really cross about that as well. And then went down to the bar and spent, I don't know, about 10 minutes coming up with some questions that I was going to ask people about this topic that I didn't really actually know that much about. And then the others were spending ages in the bar just sort of prepping stuff and then going away from the bar because they had to concentrate and do more stuff. And I just sort of figured, ah, so actually it could save me time, this facilitation malarkey. You know, it could actually be less pressure on me. And then when I actually facilitated that session, and it was it was a really good discussion we had, and I thought, gosh, there's loads of stuff here that I've actually learnt. And so I didn't need to actually know loads of stuff about it because I didn't have time to research it. And, yeah, I've learnt lots, and they've learnt lots as well what, from what's already in the room, which I thought was great, you know? Yeah, but it is counterintuitive. Because it does feel like, well, where's the knowledge going to come from? If yes. It's not, if it's not from you at the front yeah. who's supposed to know this stuff, and I don't think I know this stuff, yeah. it does feel counterintuitive. I have to say I'm quite impressed that you managed to stay cross for an entire week. Well, I don't think I was really, really that cross. I was sort of like just miffed. I mean, uh, you know, it was a very nice place we were staying in, so I don't think I was ultra. ultra. You wouldn't have been able to tell from my face, for instance. And it had, and it had a bar, Chris. You know, I, mean, I, I wouldn't have stayed cross for long, I don't think. Oh, no, no, no. Well, not that cross, yeah. And the other thing that happened after that is that I got asked to deliver sort of like a generic programming skills workshop. And that was much less about knowledge, um, but more about the skills around programming. And it was more activity led. And I decided to have a real play with it. Um, And it was really, really exciting. I absolutely loved it. It had an alien theme. And right at the beginning, uh, we had an activity where I was an alien and I had a jug of water, a bottle of Ribena. Um, There were some instructions on the whiteboard at the back, a limited set of instructions. And they had to shout out these instructions to me to to be able to make up a glass of Ribena. Otherwise, I was going to die. And basically, it, it only took about five minutes, this activity where they were shouting out instructions. But it taught them the rudiments of programming. And we had a fantastic discussion after that. And so, you know, it was a limited set of instructions. If you didn't get the instructions in the right order, you didn't get right, the right outcome. 
you know, all that sort of thing, you know, and it was, yeah, it was great. I sort of, that that sort of really opened up my mind to sort of more activity-led, a more facilitative approach. And it sort of also got me thinking about, oh, I want to do more of this and less of the IT, sort of like, you know, the the real techie stuff and everything. So, um, yeah, so that's where it all started, really, that week-long facilitation skills course and then the generic programming skills uh, workshop that I designed as well. Okay, so you so you had your your stroppy week in Hampshire, yeah, and then you, <laughs> and then you had your uh, uh, generic programming thing, and was that it? Was that were you then a converted facilitator? Uh, not quite, because um, the courses that I ran were sort of um, they were designed. Um, I I designed most of them, and then somebody created the workbooks, but they were standard courses. And so what I I suppose I did was I didn't overnight become a facilitator what I looked for were more opportunities to actually do that sort of thing you know that if it was if it was applicable I'd I'd sort of see uh, ways in which I could actually introduce more facilitation and I think because of my previous views I I was quite I was still quite closed I think as to what exactly you could do in terms of programming I mean nowadays you know I I do loads of design and help people who are um, you know IT trainers technical trainers design really really engaging activities that don't take a lot of time don't take a lot of effort either to actually design stuff so it didn't change me overnight but it did make me think about I I wanted to move away from IT training uh, into soft skills training and and that's that's what I did a, a number of years later. I suppose areas like IT and things like languages where there's a definite skill definite right and wrong answers perhaps those are the areas that are more holding out with the old teaching training approach i think the i think the thing is that people think because there's a lot to learn you can't be messing around you know you can't be messing around trying to find what it is you have to learn you have to be doing it very efficiently and you can it's just i think to me it's it's a mindset more than anything it's sort of like if i if i assume that i'm the person that knows everything then I will be a trainer. I will be assuming that um, people can't learn from the internet, from resources, from each other, through activities. So I think that's it. It's, it's a, a shift in that the places in which people can learn are the ways in which people can learn expand, you know, as you as you become more of a facilitator. One course that I did fairly recently, it's probably about four years ago now, was a, a Prince2 project management certification. Yeah. And that was very, very much a stage on the stage, a, tre- a teacher. Yeah. Really taking us through a, a kind of a death by PowerPoint process of, a, I think there's about a billion slides. Yeah. And Prince2 is a very fussy system, quite a pedantic approach. So mm-hmm. to some extent, you do you do need to be told stuff. You couldn't just work it out through discussion. Mm-hmm. So in a scenario like that, where it is this very fussy system that you have to kind of know you know in detail it's not something that's intuitive is there still room for things like facilitation oh, gosh yeah absolutely i mean i um i did a, a team leader uh, program a couple of years ago where we had to we had to talk about the rudiments of project management and i could absolutely see this in in any workshop so i got them to do like um a bridge building activity with newspaper and tape and they had to be able to hold a particular amount of weight and it had to have a particular span and they had to plan it and so 
the activity took probably about, I don't know, 15 minutes, something like that, 15, 20 minutes to actually run. So they had to plan it and build it. And they had resources. They could buy extra resources as well. And we got so much learning out of it because actually what that did, it, it provided a framework. It provided sort of, so, so what did you do in the end? What worked well? And who did this? Who did that? How did you choose who did what? And, and you know, did you get the order right? And, you know, what tools did you use? And they had a planning sheet that they could use. So in that short activity, they got the rudiments, which I think sometimes is a really nice thing to do. And then what you can do is you can hone in on the actual specifics, you know. And even so, even if there are lots of technical aspects to it, I think you can still make it fun. You can get you can use guessing, for instance. And, I, you know, and I never thought in a million years, you know, when I first became a trainer, that guessing would be a, a valid technique for learning. And I, I remember working with a building society a few years ago and somebody had to deliver a session on experience checking. And it's sort of not exactly the most riveting of topics. Um, and they did a really, really good activity in only 15 minutes. And people had to guess what the components of the actual matrix were that you then calculated the, the credit score from. And people guessed right, but even if they got a few of the things wrong, you know, you could easily just sort of correct them. And then they did a check for learning. Well, this guy who did this session said, Do you know, normally, Chris, it would take me an hour to talk about this. And we've actually, they've learned what they need to learn and they put it into practice. And I know that they know how to do it in 15 minutes, you know. So for me, that's that's a key thing. People think that they need to tell people what it is they need to know, but I think what they forget is that in the telling, people's minds are wandering, you know, because as people might be listening to this podcast, you know, because I'm talking, if I suddenly ask a question to somebody, then it will it will provide a different um, thought pattern. If I'm just talking all the time, then people think about anything else. But if I ask people, you know, what their favorite color is or what their favorite training resource is, their minds immediately start to sort of think about what the answer to that that question is because that's the way our brains are are wired is that answering your question john yeah it is it is um, i was thinking about ways that you could have applied that to that prince 2 training and to be fair they, they were kind of racing through it to make it as cheap as, as affordable as possible for the people that were there so i understand why that they took the approach that they did but mm -hmm. they could have very easily had discussions about what's the order of the different um, phases what are the different things that you must include in this document or that document yeah and I think it, it comes down to the point that you just said then I think when when a teacher or trainer is telling they're I suppose subconsciously making the assumption that 100% of what they are saying is going into the brain of the person in front of them and yes, is being under, understood and sticking in that person's memory yeah and, and we just know that's not true yeah, absolutely. You know, we know that is false. There's no, there's no doubt about this. Yeah. And therefore, you know, why do we do it? Well, I just think it's it's tradition. I mean, one of my favourite quotations is the one by Confucius, and it's, um, "Tell me and I will forget. Show me and I may remember. Involve me and I will understand." And that's that's had a real impact on me in terms of, you know, that's the key, isn't it, about involving people. If you're just talking at people, you're not involving them. The brain is actually quite passive. 
and you could be thinking about anything, you know, you'll tend to, to, to drift off. But if you've got an activity that you're doing and you've got the senses engaged, you know, the richer the experience, then the more likely that memory will actually stick and the learning will actually stick. And I think you can you can use this approach for any subject whatsoever. It's not just soft skills or the lighter stuff, whatever. I had um, a guy from National Grid who came on one of my open workshops and he did um, training on asbestos awareness, you know, and you can't get much drier than that, really. But he came up with an activity. Um, so instead of his 150 slides that he had for a half day session that he had to rattle through and talk through, he printed off a big bulk of the photographs and, and played like a matching activity. And I think, you know, no extra work for him, very little effort, but promotes discussion and promotes that sort of like questioning and that sort of uh, involvement as well. So it meant that the learners were actually doing something, thinking about, well, what is blue asbestos? What is brown asbestos? What is white asbestos? What does it look like? Where do you find it? And they were discussing these things, you know, rather than just being told. So, you know, I think it can be for any topic. It's just a mindset. And if people think that just by talking faster or talking lots and then saying it in the right way is going to actually make the learning stick, then they need to learn more about the brain, which is the last that's the last secret of accelerated learning. Which we will get on to, of course. We will. Yes, we will. Finally, we will. Not today. Not, not today, today, but we will. Today. We will. Yeah. But I suppose the other doubt that people might have, and to some extent I think I share this, is that when you're talking to people that are particularly senior, and whether or not it then feels appropriate to be doing activity, because there is kind of an assumption is that the right word but anyway that people that are really quite senior are all very capable of just sitting listening and understanding and they don't need the same indulgent exercises and activities and discussions and whatnot well i yeah i i i would i would argue that one with you as well i mean firstly if you get i thought you might people, yeah i thought you, yeah i will do if you get some senior people and they've never been exposed to this type of learning before then you do need to prep them a bit you do need to say look we are going to have some activities which will need your involvement so you know bear with us and just come with an open mind so you need to prepare your learners to actually learn in this way say it's going to be activity based and discussion led as well so you I think you do need to say something but I don't think they're any different in terms of you know how they learn you know if you want to promote discussion in fact, those senior people, it'll be sort of how do you shut them up as well, you know, because they won't be shy at actually saying stuff. So it's it's managing um, perhaps, you know, how much they talk about it as well. But, yeah, I suppose, you know, it, they may think also that, you know, well, I'm paying for an expert to come and tell me all about it. You know, again, I would prepare those learners and say, look, I am an expert in whatever it is. However, I'm sure you have got some valuable experience that you could share with your colleagues as well, you know, that we don't want to miss out on that learning. So it's about it's not only about learning from the facilitator, but learning from colleagues as well and sharing some of the successes and maybe some of the failures as well. Yeah. OK. I think also you can kind of go too far the other way, because if we're talking about something where there is a right and wrong answer, Mm -hmm. and at some point someone's got to say yay or nay someone's yeah. got to kind of put a stake in the ground yeah and i think i have been on training courses as well where 
almost anything goes. Yeah. Anything, anything you say is on a flip chart. Anything you write up is kind of accepted. Yeah. And you, and sometimes you just think, but what is it? What is the answer? Yeah. And I've seen this too, John. Actually, I've seen people say, well, there is no right and wrong answer, and I'm thinking. There is. There is a right and wrong answer. And so if... Well, there is in computer pro- computer programming or use yeah. of a computer, for yes. example. Yeah. But the, the thing is that you don't have to have a discussion around it. You could actually have a, an activity where you are matching laminates or something or some other sort of matching activity or you're, you're creating something. You know, you've got blocks with bits of code written on them or whatever. So you don't have to be discussing it, you know. There will be in that batch of laminates or the batch of blocks some right answers, but there'll be some wrong answers as well. So you can make it so that you facilitate it in such a way that people know what the right and wrongs are of that particular topic as well. So, but but yeah, I've I've seen people sort of like take it to the nth degree and you know discussing um, stuff and saying there is no right and wrong answer and 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 yeah, there there is sometimes yeah. Yeah, that drives me nuts. If it's if if it's one of those things where there is a right and wrong answer, which there usually is, and yeah. some things are more right or more wrong than others. Yeah. Or if this, or if they say, well, I think it's just common sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, that drives me mad. <laughs> you know, because there is no such thing as common sense. Do you not think so? No, common sense doesn't exist. Really. One of that... one of one of my favourite quotes is I can't remember who who said it now. It's probably Confucius, because it's either him or Winston Churchill for everything, isn't it? Yeah. But it was something like, common sense is just an accumulation of prejudices. Oh, right, okay. Or accumulation of the prejudices you've had by the time you're 18 or something like that. I've forgotten it. Maybe it was Einstein, I don't know. And I think it's very true. One person's common sense is somebody else's not common sense. Yeah. So I, I, I think falling back on that doesn't tend to be particularly helpful. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's it's probably a moment we, we should move on really to talk about what the difference is because we've talked a lot about the journey from a trainer to a facilitator and we talked a bit of there a little bit about application, mm. but we probably should drill down a little bit into what the actual difference is. Yeah, I mean, I think we have actually covered some of it. I mean, you mentioned yeah. being the font um, of all knowledge at the front. That's definitely a trainer uh, trait. Sometimes, I mean, I, I sometimes get people asking me if, if I'm looking for associates and and it's interesting because I say to them all, what do you really like to do? And they say, oh, I love teaching people. I love sort of, you know, helping people get to know. I said, how do you do that? And, it, you know, I'm thinking it sounds like they like the sound of their own voice. And I think there's a part of that. You know, there are people who really, really like standing up and telling people and teaching. You know, they like to be able to do it in a clear and concise way and they enjoy doing that. And the part of it is is about control as well. And I suppose when I first became a trainer, I did want to control everything. I didn't want it. I didn't want it sort of like getting out of control and people asking questions willy nilly. You know, there were specific times when they could ask questions, and I, I didn't want to get surprised by anything. You know, so there's that sort of control part as well for a trainer, and it's a bit more prescriptive. Having said that, even as a facilitator, you have to take on some trainer traits at some time you know because you have to sort of go through the objectives the agenda you know you've got to manage the time and stuff like that so those are sort of like trainer traits as well although you could argue and no doubt somebody will that's those are good facilitator traits as well to me a facilitator I mean facilitate means to make easy and I get a real kick now out of people really learning things and discovering stuff for themselves I really get a kick out of that 
Whereas perhaps when I first became an IT trainer, I would be getting a kick out of perhaps, you know, saying things in a very clear manner, you know, being pleased with that and thinking, oh, yeah, that went well or whatever. Whereas now it's sort of watching people discover things, flexing as well. You know, I, I used to have quite a strict timetable and session plan, whereas I do flex now with groups, you know, and draw things out of them. And, you know, if they're particularly interested in something, making time for that, because if they get to meet their objectives as well, then it gets them all bought in. And I, I do assume that everyone has got something to contribute. And I think that's a, a facilitator trait, you know, that you'll have something that you have got to contribute. And it's not just for soft skills as well. Yeah, I mean, the way, the way I've always thought about this is thinking of, that a trainer is somebody, uh, at one end of the scale, the trainer is just imparting knowledge. Yeah. Content, very much in charge of content. Mm-hmm. And the other the other end of the scale, a facilitator, would be zero content, but 100% managing the process. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And that's how I've kind of thought about the two words and how they apply. One is in charge of process, one is in charge of content. Yeah, and you kind of move along a scale between the two things depending on exactly where you are and what you're saying. So you may dip into training a bit of content for five, ten minutes. Yeah. But then you'll zip across to just managing a process or something. Yeah, and, and, and I would agree that, you know, a good facilitator would actually sort of glide seamlessly, you know, along that spectrum because it is quite a spectrum, you know, all the way from completely, you know, the, the balls in the learner's court all the way to, you know, managing absolutely everything. So, yeah, you have to glide seamlessly along that spectrum, really. I should say we've, we did a podcast a while ago of a guy called Nick Eve and it oh, was yeah. around facilitation. Did you hear it? No, I didn't actually. I'll look it up though. You should do. It's a really good one. And he goes into a lot of the detail about the role of the facilitator. Yeah. And uses some really interesting models, some of which you'll be aware of, of course, like John Adair's and stuff like that. So that's a podcast I'd really recommend for people that are interested in thinking, really thinking through the facilitator role in great depth. Yeah. It's a really, really interesting one. Yeah. And there was also also one about improvisation, because you mentioned, and again, about being a lot more flexible. Yes. And Paul Levy, who's done a couple of podcasts with us now, he was he was talking about the role of well improvising as a technique, which again was quite an interesting one. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? I find that quite influential. Yeah. That's a bit scary, though, isn't it? Completely improvising. That's sort of completely off piste, isn't it? That. Well, yeah, it was very much, you know, approaching, standing there, humble inquiry was the phrase he used, where yeah. you just say, right, well, what do you guys want to get from it? Yeah. And as long as you're meeting the objectives that you've been contracted to meet, mm-hmm. you've just got this head full of ideas and perhaps some other resources around you in terms of activities that you can pull out the bag. Yeah. And you do that and you just go along and see what happens and go with the flow, which I think is, I, I really like the idea of that, of being that flexible and being that able that you can just still make sure stuff happens still make sure there's enough structure and there's enough flow and there's enough energy to meet some objectives but still approach it in that real improvisational way i find that to be really really interesting and inspiring way of doing it yeah it is i mean you know you would have to be rather than being an expert in the subject whatever it happens to be you have to be an expert facilitator in in a way to be able to do that so somebody just starting off I'm not sure they would be able to pull that off necessarily, but it's something to aspire to, I suppose. But as you probably guess, John, from me, is that, you know, I would be keen on, yeah, if the objectives are met, then fine. I am all about the objectives. If those are met, then it's good. 
so, so when we're talking about training facilitator, we talked about the differences between the two there, mean mainly around content, teaching, that kind of stuff, facilitator yeah. being much more, as you said, the word means making things easy. Yeah. Which I hadn't noticed until you said it then, but I can see it now. Yeah. But facilitator being much more about controlling the process, making activities happen, setting them up, and therefore the kind of the knowledge is generated through conversation or activity or shared or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the the other bit you wanted to talk about was the benefits and the impact. Yeah. Taking a facilitation approach rather than the training approach. Right. So the benefits and impact. Yeah. So going back to the Confucius quote about involve me and I will understand the benefits. And I think the impact of facilitating is that it's a much more immersive um, experience rather than it being done to people. It's actually immersive and there are more senses which are sort of used. And the more senses that are, um, I suppose, switched on during a learning experience, the, the more memorable it's going to be. The other great benefit, I think, is that people can come to their own conclusions. There are people, and I've met quite a few people, who really don't like being told stuff. You know, the the minute you start telling them stuff, they'll find an opposite view or whatever. And if you facilitate something, people can come to their own conclusions if it's something that obviously has to have a conclusion. There are fewer what I would call prisoners I think because because you're involving people. So, for instance, I do an awful lot of train the trainer. And, you know, I might have somebody in the room that's been a trainer for 20 years sitting next to somebody who it's day one of being a trainer. And so you could get on the one hand, you get, you know, the the guy or the, the, the person or the woman who's been a trainer for 20 years sort of thinking, well, what on earth are they going to teach me? You know, what are they going to tell me and come with that sort of attitude? And then equally, you've got the person who it's day one and um, they're thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm just going to look so daft here. You know, I'm not going to say anything at all. And what it's about is about creating that collaborative atmosphere. It's about drawing things out, people using the knowledge in the room as well, asking people. And then the experienced people are being asked rather than being told. And so, you know, rather than just sort of confirming, yeah, OK, I've been doing like that already. It's about drawing stuff out. They're building on what they already know. It's also you're drawing out stuff and then building on what they already know. And that's that's a great thing to do in terms of memory and how the brain works is, is start with things that they already know and build upon them because it's already a memory there. And so you're building it and adding to it. Yeah. And also you're validating, aren't you? You're validating somebody's knowledge. You're recognizing the fact yeah. that they may have expertise, knowledge in advance, which is nice. People yeah, like to absolutely. be validated. And as you said, people don't, that's another quote, isn't it? A Churchill quote, I, I like to learn, but I don't always like to be taught. Yes. And people do sometimes take a, a, a contrary view of this, which is probably one of my own traits of not <laughs> not, not particularly liking to I be taught. I can't imagine that, John, at all. No, it's true. It's true. I know. Yeah, no, I can't imagine that. Well, I haven't always been this polished professional you see before you now, Chris. Oh, well. There is a stroppy contrarian inside. Yeah, well, I well think that's for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, it's sort of, um, I think just in a nutshell, it's more immersive, it's more fun, it's more memorable, it works in the way that, um, you know, helps the brain to remember stuff. And you're building on the knowledge, you're not limiting the knowledge to be just stuff that's in your head. You know, the, the learning experience comes from the, the environment, the resources, the people that are there, the activities and you. And so it's a much richer experience and it's, it's a winner for me. 
Yeah, and I know that from a lot of the training that I do or workshops that I deliver, when you ask people afterwards, what was the best bit? Which bits did you like? It's very rarely, is it, the the 10 minutes that I stood up and explained something. Yeah, or do you know what? I found that 10th slide in your PowerPoint. I thought that was the best thing out of the whole workshop, yeah? People very rarely do you get that. Every, I've never had yeah. that. I've never no. had that. I have had people commenting on the fact that I used my own graphics in in um, my slides, but not actually, you know, that 10th slide was key. It really made me think. It's usually... When we had that discussion or when we had that activity, there was a real light bulb moment or, you know, I came to realise through doing this. It's usually through doing or discussing people have those little light bulb moments, you know. So, um, yeah. It, it's always that in my experience. I think yeah. almost always or, or literally always. It's yeah. all, it's it's the discussions we were able to have, the conversations we could have. Yeah. It was, you know, that, that activity was was the one that kind of really broke through for me. It's always, always that. Yeah. The only the only feedback I've ever had about PowerPoint in a positive sense was someone once said to me, "You don't really use PowerPoint, do you?" Mm. And they were they were quite surprised. They were expecting a sort of a PowerPoint led thing, and I'd basically just not used it. Mm-hmm. You know, I I rarely do unless it's something I'm really unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely. The feedback, the bit that's memorable, the bit that people really enjoy, that get the most from, is always always the bits that were facilitated. Yes. Yeah, and the yeah. and the facilitator taking the taking their role as being I've got to create environments and activities and conversations which allow learning to happen. Yes, yeah. Rather than I've got some content here, let me shove it into your head. Yes, and I th- I I think that's it. Just makes for a better experience, John. And I think you're right. You know, feedback. If I say what was the best thing, I've got on my feedback forms. You know, what was the best thing. And it's usually about the interactions with other people. It's usually about, you know, being together as a team and, you know, exchanging ideas and stuff like that. So if that's the case, why are people just peddling just one set of ideas? Why not get ideas from everybody, you know? And people aren't daft. They can sort out the good ones from the bad ones, you know? So encourage that, I would say. Absolutely. It's just a much more engaging experience for everybody. And you get to share a lot more different ideas. People get exposed to more. I think it's just it just wins in every count, really. It and I does. suppose it, I suppose it's partly the fear of control that you mentioned that might stop people, and also people feeling that they need to do things very quickly, and the time pressure, which you've already dealt with, I know, in your earlier example. But I think yeah. there's a couple of couple of, and maybe the expectations issue. You've got the expectations issue as well. So there's a few things which are there, perhaps hold people back from thinking that they could just go hell for leather and just go facilitation mad. Yeah, there is that danger, isn't it? They think, oh, well, we can facilitate everything. But actually, sometimes, you know, you know, maybe they're missing a key piece of information and it's quite difficult to remember. Give them a job aid, you know, do a do an activity post face to face, you know, something online where they collaborate. There are lots and lots of ways people can learn other than just somebody presenting. So think and consider all of the different ways in which you you could possibly learn you know and don't just assume that you have to I think that's that's the key thing is people think that you know the time that you've got face to face is the only time that people have to learn and you've got before during and after you've got um, a heck of a lot of time so if you feel that you know you are going to facilitate and you're going to be running out of time then think of other ways in which people can learn as well 
I think that's a really important point because there's a lot of knowledge transfer you can shove into pre-learning or some or pre-learning. That's a terrible phrase. Sorry about that. Into the before the actual workshop itself, mm-hmm. there's quite a lot of things that you can shove into there and create a video, create a podcast, write something, do an e-learning. There's loads and loads of ways that you can get that knowledge transfer done before you even get into the room. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely, John. Well, we're, we're in violent agreement here, Chris. We and... are. That's, that's, is that a first? No, it's not a first. I think we've agreed before. We have agreed before, yes, yes. But um, we are, at this point, I think, agreeing completely about the role of facilitator. And I think I've been through a similar journey as well. Yeah. And it's part, partly because I enjoy training, I enjoy teaching as yeah, well yeah and yeah. and therefore i've felt resistance to this but as you said i've actually just come to really enjoy facilitating the process i've just learned to actually take a lot of pleasure from doing that as much yeah. as from the uh, from the actual explaining of stuff which i do enjoy doing i like explaining stuff yeah and i do too and what i actually particularly like though is like for instance one of my um my one of my train the trainer workshops we we use gamification and People play a game and they score points. So your learning loop thing. My learning loop thing, yeah. And the thing is that they don't always get all of the answers or the complete answer because that's a facilitated way of actually starting that discussion. So what happens is that I, I really enjoy then saying, well, do you know what? You have some great points, but the one thing that you're missing from here is this, you know? And so I enjoy that bit as well. But I also take pleasure in the fact that actually, do you know what? I could have spent five minutes talking about it. And instead, I've heard them. They know that stuff already. And I just had to add one point. I get pleasure out of both now. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And people that are feeling that they have to be trainers and do training and those are the expectations. I think it's something that you can learn to really take pleasure out of facilitating the process. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that, that, that can be done. Yeah, we've both we've both been through that same journey without we have, but without losing the love of explaining stuff to people, (laughs) but just adding to it with facilitation stuff. Yeah. And I I think that's a nice way. It's sort of like topping up, you know, so let's find out what they know already and let's top up to where they need to be. And if there's somebody else who can top them up or a resource or an activity, then great. But, um, you know, it doesn't always have to be you. Great. Is there anything else? you want to add before we head off i don't think so i don't i don't think so i think from from my perspective when i when i'm when i was sort of thinking about the the five secrets of accelerated learning it's for me it's sort of like this mindset shift about moving from being a trainer the font of all knowledge to being a facilitator where you are doing things by activity and learning through doing stuff but a variety you know and so i think we've covered the most the most important points and I think it was important to know that you can and we've both got um, experience in this you can move from that sort of technical trainer to a technical facilitator role but glide between those as well because a lot of people do say oh yeah it's all right this facilitation but only for soft skills you know and actually I think it's even more important to make you know learning uh, interesting and immersive when it's it's hard to remember stuff, you know, that it is very technical. I think you need tips and tricks to be able to make it more memorable. So I'm happy with where we finished, actually, John, yeah. Great. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Chris. It's been my pleasure. Having, as I, as I said, I, I, I think we are largely in agreement here. I do think a, a good L&D professional needs to be able to move up and down the scale. Yeah. Because there are times you do need to train a certain amount of knowledge. But 
primarily the more you can get down the facilitation end of that continuum the better definitely mm-hmm. definitely and just to remind people this is one of five secrets so this is adding up to being an accelerated learning experience so do go back and listen to the first podcasts or the first two or three podcasts that we've already done on this and obviously we'll be adding three more so this is one of five secrets so thank you very much chris my pleasure john it's been great as usual just chatting yeah and I will see you again soon. Yes, thanks very much.